What is up, my fellow limpers? This is your host, Jordan Ross, and thank you for listening to another episode of the What's Your Limp podcast. I am so incredibly excited for today's episode. Uh, It is with Golden Globe winner, actor, comedian, and filmmaker Rami Youssef, who I was already a a huge fan of. He's the first Golden Globe winner I've had on the show, so that's exciting too. Um, But he's just an awesome person. Um, This is arguably the deepest and most thought-provoking episode I've done yet. Uh, we, We go to some really, really interesting and complex uh, we, we explore some really interesting and complex topics like the, the, the idea of, of morality, social constructs, the, the importance of diverse and, and accurate representation in media, the state of religion, uh, and a bunch of other things. We, it's, it's a fascinating episode. Um, Rami's show, which is titled Rami is one of the best shows out there right now. Clearly, it's a show that's well respected uh, within the film community. You know, it's it's won awards at Golden Globes and, and it's been up for for a bunch of other things. But um, I feel like it's not talked about enough just in the, the general public. I feel like way more people need to be watching the show. Uh, and the thing I talk a lot about in this episode was how Rami forces you to to be introspective and to ask yourself, would I have done that same thing? Or is that okay? There, there are so many instances on this show where, you know, just on paper, you would look at it and say, oh, that's wrong. But then watching it in the context of the show after getting to know these characters, it gives you a, a whole new perspective on it. Uh, one big one is that Rami's character on the show falls in love with his cousin. But the thing is, it's his cousin that lives in another country. He never saw her growing up, has never really known her. Uh, they meet later on in life. And it's this thing where, again, on paper, if someone's like, oh, yeah, I'm in love with with my cousin, your initial reaction most likely is disgust or or judgment or, um, you know, just being grossed out because the thought of of being with your cousin is a gross thought. It is to me and it is, I'm I'm sure to most people, but again, within the context of the show, watching these characters um, and their, their stories unfold, you see it happen and you find yourself rooting for these characters to be together. So there's a lot of really interesting things on the show. And and there's things with uh, Rami's best friend, Steve, who I interviewed on the show as well, who's a, a disabled actor. He has muscular dystrophy. He's in a wheelchair. And there are so many uh, things that happen with Steve's character where you're like, oh, wait, is that is that wrong? I think that thing's wrong. But when he does it, is it still wrong because of his his circumstances? So that's the thing I love about Rami, both the show and the person, is that he isn't afraid to ask those those difficult questions. And it's not him, you know, condoning dating your cousin or, you know, things like that. It's him just forcing people to challenge themselves a little bit and to not be so uh, black and white and stubborn in their their way of thinking, to leave their echo chamber a little bit and to be exposed to some questions and ideas and cultures um, that maybe they they weren't familiar with. I, I have... Uh, an endless amount of respect and admiration for for Rami. I think he's just one of the coolest people 
And uh, I'm, I'm so honored that he, he agreed to come on the podcast. I had a blast getting to know him and chatting with him. And I can't wait for all of you to hear it. I hope it challenges you. I hope it pushes you out of your comfort zone. And I hope it makes you think. Uh, I'm not asking for you to agree with everything that we say or to, uh, you know, change your your mind about anything. You know, my goal is just hopefully to to help people have a, an open mind about things um, because I, I think that's important. Um, and hopefully Rami and I accomplish that in this episode. So I am going to shut up now and jump right into the episode uh, because it is a, a, one of my longer conversations I've had on the podcast. And uh, yeah, so I hope you enjoy this conversation with the great Rami Youssef. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this original intro music by Devin Levi and give him a follow at Devin Levi Music. I really appreciate you doing this. I'm a huge fan of your your work and everything that you're doing, just not just in front of the camera, but the stuff you're doing as, you know, an, an activist as well, I think is really, really cool. Thanks. Yeah. I um it's funny, I never I I never think about it as activism. I won't I won't reject the <laughs> I won't reject the title, but I never think about it that way. It's right. just kind of like, you know, doing stuff that you doing know, what's right. Yeah, just stuff that should be happening. You know, it's 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 kind of like it's kind of funny that you know doing stuff that should happen because is like its own category because we're never really encouraged to at all. We're yeah, just kind of encouraged to like scroll. Yeah, yeah. yeah it it seems like it should just be kind of a a common sense thing to do. Like, hey, let's uh, promote people that are, are being oppressed or discriminated against. Let's let's give them opportunities. But it's like, when you do that, it's like, oh, wow, look at you being an activist. But it's like, <laughs> shouldn't we all be doing that, though? I do appreciate it because not everyone is doing that. So it, it, yeah. it does um, mean a lot. And I, I already interviewed uh, Steve recently. And right. He's uh, such an awesome guy. And so I was really excited to have you on to kind of have like a both, both sides of that because he talked a lot yeah. about you. Mostly good stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. We gotta, you know, it's got to be real. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was your childhood like? Like what, what was home life like? What were your parents like? Just kind of, you know, what was the, the gist of that? Well, I, I grew up... Um, you know, I, I I was I was in New York for a little bit, but we we went to Jersey pretty early on, just because my parents um, my parents are great. I mean, they they just they're so great, and they and they really kind of wanted this, uh, you know, the idea of just like having a home and a backyard, and you know, that wasn't the kind of thing you can do in Jersey in in New York. So so we went to Jersey, and um, and yeah, we were you know I. It's really funny. I mean, we moved, uh, I'd say probably, I guess like four or five blocks away from Steve, you know? And so, um, that, that was, you know, that would play in my life in, in a couple of years, not right away, but, um, yeah, you know, grew up, grew up spending every summer in Cairo. Um, my, at my, a lot of time at my grandparents in Queens. I mean, I, I think like my, my early life, you know, 
we only spoke Arabic in the house. I think it was it was just really like my parents were um the when I look back, I think my parents were were very much um people who who you know they they they've always wanted us to have like the most that they could give us and then they also um you know were kind of like against groupthink in a way because I remember kind of you know I'd be hanging out with friends from school going to school and my dad would be like you know but just remember like you're Muslim you know you have you know so it's like don't lose that you have different values and then we'd go to the mosque and you know we do that we go like once a week to the mosque and you know we went to like a sunday school kind of vibe and then my dad would be like you know don't listen to everything they say at the mosque you know because you're you're a little bit different than what's going on. so it was it was this really like I, I used to think like is this schizophrenia like am i like is this just like is there nowhere that i belong but but i kind of interpret it now as whether they they were conscious of it or not i think i, I interpret it as my parents kind of looking um you know, hoping for us to kind of have like our own, our own way of kind of moving through the world um, in the ways that I think they did as well from, from their own, you know, situations. And so I, I grew up with that mentality for sure. And then, uh, so in some ways, you know, you kind of feel like an outsider. And I do think like, you know, we've written a bit about it in the show with, with me and Steve. And, and um, you know, I think in, in, in certain ways, we both kind of felt that way. And I think um, the more time has gone on, I've also just realized like, you know, that Steve and I just have, I don't know if I would even say similar, but we have very compatible personalities. So I used to wonder like, oh, is it just because like, it, it was, it was really, I, I used to actually genuinely be like, well, is it because we just grew up around the corner from each other and I cared about him? But then like, you know, now we're, you know, 30 and I'm like, Oh, me and this dude are just, we're just, we could have met at any point and we'd be really close friends. Obviously the history is, 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 you know, puts it much deeper, but um, yeah, I think we probably both had that outsider kind of vibe um, our whole lives, you know? Yeah. I think it's cool too. What you said about your, your dad kind of teaching you to question or not necessarily question everything, but, but just uh, to, to, he, it was like he was promoting critical thinking. And, and I think that, uh, that shows not only in your, your show, but, um, I think that it's, it's super important because so many people today lack that quality, um, of critical thinking. And, um, I think I do want to get into that more later, um, about how you're not afraid to be critical of things that are important to you or, or meaningful to you. Um, and it's, it's not just this, like, uh, blind loyalty to all of these different things that you identify as you you, yeah. you are able to acknowledge and address the things that you maybe don't like about certain certain aspects of it all so i think that's really cool um and important but uh speaking of steve and and when y'all met so i read that that you two met around when 9-11 happened yeah kind of yeah it's it's in that window i mean like there was, you know, we were, we were in the same town, but it was like, there were like three schools in our town, depending on like the exact street you lived on. Yeah. And so I was at a different one. And I remember it must've been maybe a year or two, maybe it was like 99 or something or 2000. And they had to build a ramp at the school Steve was at. So he came to our school and that's when I first met him. And then 
he and then like he went back and then the schools merged um you know probably like 2002 our schools you know like it was like the middle school merge you know so so we'd been in each other's orbit right around then but that like yeah 2002 was we really uh started to become really good friends so i remember because you and i were about the same age i think there's like a a few months between us but uh yeah so obviously we were the same age then too that's how time works um so we uh i remember being you know a white kid that grew up in a in the Bible Belt in Texas after 9 yeah. 11, I even was able to sense a shift in the way that Muslims in my school, there, there, it wasn't a large community in my area, but I, I was able to sense that the ones that were there, there was a shift in the way that maybe they were viewed or, or treated. And there was, um, a, like, a, a, there was more animosity towards, towards that, that community. And, and I know that if I, this this white kid that grew up in a Christian family was able to see that. I, I can only imagine what it would have been like for you being so close to to the chaos and yeah. being Muslim. So what what was that like for you as a kid? What kind of shift did you see and how did how did kids treat you differently after that? Um you know I think I think I just felt consistently like I had to um explain myself, you know. Like, I think there was like a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the things that were, you know, we have a lot of dialogue in the show that, that of just like the young Rami character kind of trying to differentiate, you know, between Egypt and being African. And, you know, there was just like all these like little things where, where I felt like there was, you know, this, um, this need to explain. I, I think my parents might've felt it more than they let on to me. And I think they, they felt it more than my sister and I did. Um, but you know, it, it's things like that are, um, they're kind of like a slow drip. It's not like, you know, it, 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 it starts to like seep into other things over the years, you know? And, um, and I remember too, like, you know, yeah, just, just feeling like I was probably more anxious about it than anyone, you know, it, it, it created this like self fear that I, I, I think like a lot of communities can probably resonate with, um, you know, if you, if you don't know a ton of people or aren't surrounded by a ton of people who are the culture you're from, and then the only thing you're seeing consistently in the news is terrible, you know, you start to kind of like wonder, you know, oh, wow, is that a projection of, of who I really am? You know, is that a projection of, of what my culture really is, of what my faith really is? But, uh, I, I, you know, maybe I don't see it, you know, so, so it, it really, that's what seeps in. Um, and, and I think it took me many years to kind of realize like, oh, wow, like it, 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 it did something to me even more than it, you know, did something to perceptions of people around me. Uh, cause that stuff's almost kind of obvious, you know, and you can just kind of fight it. And, and I think I remain to be like relatively a popular kid. Like, I think like, it's not like I became like a complete, you know, outcast or something. I also am really lucky because like, you know, just visually the way I looked, it's like, I, 
you know, you tell someone I'm Arab. Yeah, I'm definitely Arab. But like you tell someone I'm Italian. Sure. You tell someone, you know, you know like I'm, I'm Hispanic. Yeah, fine. Like, you know, I, I kind of had that um, chameleon kind of, you know, culturally thing going, um, you know, which is was not even the same for other people in my family who are who are you know considerably um, darker than I am. But um, yeah, so so that all those things, you know, uh, you kind of start to see them over the years, but they, they don't hit right away. But but yeah, there's a shift. There's immediate shift. But then but then it kind of like there, there are layers, you know. Yeah, it's that's really interesting. You saying that you kind of were able to blend in and and uh, people maybe necessarily couldn't really figure out what, where like what ethnic group you you belonged in. I had a yeah. friend in, in school as well who uh, is Hispanic and he, you know, had been picked on or people would make racist jokes to him. So he eventually just started telling people that he was Hawaiian because he looked kind of Hawaiian because he wanted to avoid all of that. And uh, whenever you said that, it made me think of that. I thought that was funny. <laughs> Um, as far as feeling, uh, the kind of the, the internal things that it, it caused issues that it caused and maybe certain levels of like, um, shame or, or guilt and things like that. Uh, I, I can relate to that in the sense that, uh, I, I have cerebral palsy and scoliosis in, in yeah. high school, um, got picked on pretty pretty brutally eventually i befriended the the football players and they kind of still picked on me but it was more in like a big brother way um and uh but they they protected me so i wasn't getting beat up constantly anymore and like i wasn't having to uh eat lunch between the vending machines anymore so i could like see the you know be hidden and see the bullies coming because of that it it caused a lot of of internal issues more than like what they were saying I, i started to like have have all of this shame about who I am and all of this like you know I walk past a reflective surface and it's still something I struggle with if I'm walking past like a big window in a mall I don't want to look at it because I don't want to see my limp and uh it's things like that that like it's taken a while to to learn to accept and at times love those those things about me um that other people's you know, insecurities or fears or, or the things that they're ignorant about have, have caused me to feel about myself. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, how have you, how have you done that? Like, especially when it comes to self image, I mean like that, that idea, even like of, of like reflection, like how do you, how do you insert a new idea around that? It's tough. Uh, it's especially like I happen to fall in love with acting. So I picked the line of work where I'm constantly yeah. having to look at myself. Yeah. Um, and it's like, can we just do like some medium close ups, like no, <laughs> yeah. no wide shots of me walking? Yeah. The thing that has made me feel more accepting of myself and loving towards myself is has really just been talking about it. And yeah. uh, the more I've talked about it, like this podcast, the, the this whole thing, um, you know, interviewing other people that may have a physical disability, like Steve, or I, I talked to RJ Mitty from uh, Breaking Bad recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, other people that that are in the same line of work as me. It's been cool talking to them about like similarities in our our, our stories and feeling. You know, there's that feeling of like I walk into a casting room and I've had only a few casting directors comment on it, but uh, because of that, it, it became every time I would walk into any casting office, that's the number one thing on my mind is like, do not let them see the limp. 
And wow. uh, so I'm not servicing the character. I'm not giving the best performance. Right, right. And uh, so that was difficult. But the more I've talked about it um, and the more I've gone out there and I've started some speaking engagements about like anti-bullying and stuff like that, the more I've had other people come up to me and say like, hey, I struggle with that same thing. They may not even have a physical disability, but they right. they struggle with loving themselves too. And it's something I think we all do to an extent. Yes. Um, and that has given me so much comfort and and knowing that I'm not alone in that. And I see other people talk about feeling that way. And I'm like, no, I, I think that's that's a beautiful thing about you. Like, I love that thing about you. It makes you unique. The thing that you hate about yourself, it's something I love. So I'm like, well, you know what? If I feel that way about all of these people talking yeah, about yeah, yeah. Students, <laughs> like, it's like so, it's it's so funny, man. We're we're so forgiving of so much and so many others. Yeah. Like we'll we'll be like, well, no, it's you know, I mean, for me anyway, I maybe not everybody, but I, I'm so forgiving. I'm like, oh well, no, because he, you know, he's it's probably because he has like a bad, you know, or no, she, you know, she grew up a certain, you know, like yeah. I will go Damn. down the rabbit hole of giving someone the most favorable backstory as to why they are acting a certain way. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I, I should have some of that towards me. Even if I had like a quarter of that towards myself that would, oh wow that would be amazing. right that would be really really nice be amazing um but yeah yeah it's it's been a it still is too but it's it's something that uh you know I, i'm i'm i've made a lot of progress because in high school it was bad like you know i was having suicidal thoughts and like all of this yeah. stuff and it, it was it was pretty brutal but then you know over the last several years it's made uh i've made a lot of progress and having kids i have three kids now that has made a big difference too because i see how much they love me yeah. and they you know as a kid you love your parent more than anyone in the world and yeah. they're, they're god to you essentially and it's yeah. like if if another human can love me that much then i should have a little bit more love for myself too so that's that's yeah. Um, wow, three kids. That's amazing. But uh so I, I discovered your show. I, I was on a plane and um before I had seen your Golden Globe speech and I was like, that dude's really charming and like down to earth and cool. I need to watch that show. And then, you know, I got busy and I never got around to it. And I was uh in Utah for a while shooting the last season of, of my show and we were flying back. And uh, I saw that it was the first two episodes were on the plane. So I was like, oh, cool. I'll watch this. And I loved it. So as soon as I got home, I binged the rest of it. And uh, actually, one of the actors that's he's recurring on our show played the um, the old Hodge. Uh, oh, it, yeah. Maz. Yes. Maz. Maz. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He so I had just gotten done like days earlier working with him and I saw uh, him cool. the pilot. So I was like, oh, it's really fun. But um so how did uh how did that show come to be? Because like I know you did Colbert and you you had done some other appearances and stuff. So how did it end up on Hulu and and what was the the story behind you know getting it out there? I'd been working with a buddy of mine uh, who's a co-creator on the show, Ari Kacher. and uh, you know he was one of my first friends in stand up when I moved to L.A. Uh, I think actually my first LA open mic, Ari and I went together and we signed up, but he had gotten there earlier. He signed up and then he did a set. And then I was like really late on the list. So we were like, let's go for a walk. And then we just went for a walk uh, and it just turned into a really long walk. And I ended up missing 
going up, you know, I didn't even go up at my first mic. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, we've been, we've been friends for years and, and, um, I've been building out my stand up and kind of what I wanted to be saying on stage. And, and, um, he had made, he had co-created, um, the Carmichael show with Gerard. Um, and so, and then I was opening for Gerard and, and, and we had gotten close. So, so they were kind of like, there was this, um, conversation stirring between us about like oh maybe we should make a show um but I wasn't really like I, I kind of wanted to wait a little bit it was really funny it was like I had like two friends who wanted to make a show and I was like well let's just wait a little bit because I just wanted to I wanted more stand up and I wanted to kind of like I wanted to be really clear about what I wanted to say in the show and then I, I and then it became really clear for me where I was like you know I really want to talk about faith in a way that doesn't feel uh fantastical and that doesn't feel cheesy and that doesn't feel um you know fabricated like I, I want it to feel like that that guilt that's kind of always rattling around in my head while I'm doing everything that I do and 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 I wanted it to feel like that that struggle between you know sometimes feeling like you're two different people you know sometimes you feel like you're your higher self and sometimes you feel like the worst version of yourself and um that feeling you know i started talking about in stand up and then once it really hit in stand up i i kind of was like okay yeah we should we should figure out you know how do we like how do we turn this into into a show with a family because um it's something that i had always wanted to explore you know I, I when I first moved to LA I moved um with a I had an acting job on a multicam on on Nick at Night you know it was just this right. like you know it was just a job many levels it was but it was really probably one of the best experiences of my life just amazing you know crew and creator everyone was just like it was just such a great great way to move to LA but but I remember when I was kind of getting it getting the job and, and I remember really feeling like oh wow like I grew up in, in, in Jersey. I didn't know anyone who was even on a commercial, you know, let alone in, in, in a TV show. And, and I remember very distinctly feeling like I want to tell a story, you know, that feels and looks like the people I know who are Arab, who are Muslim. Cause I, I hadn't connected with that in the medium of film or TV ever, you know? And right. so that was a goal from that, that was like 2012. So then, you know, we started developing the show five years later. Um, and at the time, again, I didn't know if it was going to be a show. I didn't know what all the specifics were going to be. I was like, maybe it's a movie. One of my earliest movie ideas was actually what ended up being our middle school episode in the first season, you know, and, and that was an idea I had had as a movie. Um, and and I had had that idea pretty early on, um, and then it. But but then you know you go to make a show, and then you're like, you know, you burn every idea you've ever had because it's like, yeah, why would I wait? You know, exactly. I'm very happy for that. You know, um, but yeah, so so that you know that kind of was how it came to be, and then actually we we signed the deal with Hulu. You know, we had put I put together this like 45 minute stand up tape, and then we kind of took it to networks, and then we pitched. Um, what the show would be and I uh yeah I put I put this together and um uh you know Hulu a couple of networks were interested 
but Hulu, it was like, we felt like we could really make the show there because they were honestly just desperate for content. <laughs> they were like, we need comedies that work, you know, that we like. And so they were, they seemed very aggressive about, they were like, we'll make a pilot. We'll just shoot a pilot, which, you know, you know, the business It's very hard. We didn't even have a script written. We had a stand up tape and they were like, whatever you write, we'll shoot a pilot. And we were like, well, we can't turn that down, you know? Yeah. Uh, and this is just to give you an idea when we signed that deal, this is before Handmaid's Tale came out. Okay. So that's the, that's like, Hulu's just reruns at that yeah. point. You know, there's a couple of original programs, but like, it's not, you know, it's not really there. Um, maybe they're the only comedy that, that was, that was making a blip was casual, you know? Right. Um, and, um, which was great, but, but it's like, you know, there's not an infrastructure. And so, um, yeah, so we, we started to develop with them. And, and interestingly, we, uh, I did Colbert after we started to develop with them, which was so funny. It was like, we were already in, we had, maybe we had just signed the development deal like a month prior and then the Colbert thing kind of aligned around the same time. So it was really, wow. it was really kind of funny. Cause it, I think optically from the outside, it looked like I did Colbert and then I got a TV show, but, but it was actually the other way around, which was really kind of hilarious. Yeah, dude, that's so cool. I, I think that my my favorite you saying that you had certain things that you were really um stories and 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 directions that you were really passionate about going whenever you were developing it and and things that you wanted to touch on um i think my favorite aspect of it is how everything is is gray and there's there's no uh you know the the morality of of the characters and the the choices they make in real life there's so much nuance and and it's it's a scale it's not people try to make things black and white mm. um and when you're removed from a situation you could objectively look at something and be like oh yeah no that's wrong and and that's right but it's like there's so much more to the story like if if you took any storyline essentially from your show and just told someone just in a sentence what happens they'd be and ask is that right or wrong a lot of them people would be like oh yeah no that's wrong that's that's not good but when you listen when you watch the show and you see the context leading up to it and and you know these characters you're like oh wait is it is it wrong like is <laughs> i don't think so like I, I, it feels right like i'm rooting for him and his cousin and it's like these things where you're like it, it challenges you and i think with with art and specifically with art that touches on religion, I think it's super important to be challenged and to like the the best the best pieces of art are the ones that challenge you and the ones that that make you question things and think about things. And uh, I think that is my favorite thing about Rami. I think it's it's so so important. You might have you heard? Uh, I heard this on uh, Dax Shepard's podcast, Armchair Expert. Um, it's, it's a moral and, and ethical dilemma about the brother and sister. Have you heard this? No. Okay. So John Haight came up, came up with this dilemma. Um, so right off the bat, if, if someone told you a brother and sister slept together, is that right or wrong? Like all of us in our gut, like, we're like, that's wrong. That's gross. The thought of doing that's disgusting to, to, to most of us. And, yes. um, but his dilemma, he, he came up with this dilemma basically in order to show, um, that, uh, you know, it, it, that a lot of our conceptions of morality, um, are, are 
they they come from a, an initial emotional gut reaction. It's it's preconceived judgments we already have. So then whenever we try to uh, explain why something is wrong, mm-hmm. it's hard to do it without making it an emotional reasoning um, right. for certain things. So as far as this goes, here here's the dilemma. Yeah. Um, and then try to tell me what is morally wrong about this, okay? Right. So Julie and Mark, are, I'm reading this now. Julie and Mark are brother and sister. They traveled together to France for the summer. Uh, and one night, they're both adults. One night, they're staying alone in a cabin near the beach. And they decided it would be interesting and fun if they tried making love. Uh, and at the very least, it would be a new experience to each of them. So uh, they're both on, Julie's on birth control, they're using protection. Uh, you know, they, they've even been told by doctors they can't procreate, you know, they're, they're, neither of them are, are able to, to conceive. Uh, so that's not an issue. Um, they do it, they, they enjoy it, and they decide never to do it again. They go home, it's just their special secret, and that's it. It never happens again. Um, and they feel closer because of it. So the the initial arguments that that we would make is okay well it's illegal okay but not in France in France that's not illegal okay cool so um you know the birth defects if they end up having a baby it's like okay but they're using protection and neither of them can have a baby so it's like okay that makes uh-huh. that so it's like then you start and the point of that isn't to show like hey incest is cool guys it's like more to show that these these ideas of morality that we have are gray They're like it, another one is well that's disgusting it's mm-hmm. like okay yeah maybe to you and me but not to julie and mark like they mm-hmm. they enjoyed it so it's like the it's one of those things that uh i feel like your show t- kind of presents some similar dilemmas was that something early on you wanted to do to make people be be challenged and question you know the the idea of of certain moral dilemmas and everything like how important was that to you early on well first of all i completely understand the example you brought up but you know i have to uh legally uh you know show the difference between brother sister and cousin a hundred percent no <laughs> yes <laughs> legal obligation yeah no, but um you know, I think this 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 idea, well, you know, okay, there's two things. I'll answer your question first, but then I want to kind of circle back to this example that you yes. brought up. Because it is really interesting. Uh, and I like it for for the, the reasoning. I think I think with Steve, um, you know, what we this idea, you know, like you, you just kind of laid it out really well in terms of just like challenging certain things in the way people view stuff and creating that gray. To me, that was yeah. That's always been the DNA of the show, and um, and it's been what has been really interesting to explore for me in stand up. But it it took time for me to get there. I mean, I think like you know shows are team efforts in in so many ways, and so it was like it was cool because I would get pushed to do certain things by my co creators, and I'm like oh like I would think of things, and then I'd be like ah, oh, but I can't do that, you know, because my parents or because of you know right. the the the, the Arab and Muslim communities and, you know, like the, 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 you know, I'd be like, cause I care about the variety of communities that are in the show. And I'd be like, Oh, but then this and then that, but then everyone would be like, yeah, but that's like our job, you know, <laughs> like we're supposed to be, you know, uh, pushing it to that place. And then that, that would really, you know, little by little, I would shed that. And then I think then I would in turn do the same with Steve where I'd be like, Hey man, like, let's just, 
let's try this thing. And at first he'd be like, huh, I don't know. But then I'd write it and then we'd get into it. And then he'd be like, oh yeah, okay. I think I could pull this off. I think this could be pretty cool. And then we'd watch it and then it'd be like, whoa, like that's a crazy thing we just made, you know? Um, and, and so that process, you know, we have been finding together, all of us, you know, as, as, as a show. Um, and it's felt really authentic to kind of like the, that initial feeling that, that I, you know, was really excited about portraying, um, you know, and, and, and it kind of like comes to the, the, the dilemma you just brought up is really interesting, right? Because it's like, and this is, this is what I, um, like, I, I think like to me, and we don't even fully get into this in the show, but I think the state of religion in general is like completely bankrupt, right now it's 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 on its weakest weakest leg it is um every faith you've heard of is probably out there at its like worst mutation (laughs) you know like it's and 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 not um you know but but i but i think like part part of the things that i that i you know really struggle with is that um we are as a society um you know, we think new is best Mm -hmm. and we think now is best in so many ways. And we really throw away the old and you see this in Hollywood. We do it with people, right? We throw away old people. We don't care about their wisdom. We don't care about what happened before us. Like we will throw away someone who just slightly seems too old and focus on, you know, some TikToker and be like, wow, this, you know, seven second boy wonder and we'll put everything into it. And as a society, we're obsessed with doing the same thing. We're just like, fuck what came before. We have Wi-Fi, we have air conditioning. They were wrong about everything. And I think what's interesting is kind of like, we are, you know, we're in a time where all that we prioritize is what we can see and what's in front of us. Yeah. Um, and the societies that came before us um, had a little bit more emphasis on the unseen, you know, and that's where faith comes in. And so what's so interesting, what you're saying is we need to make America great again. <laughs> no, this is, this is way bigger than America. No, I know. No, I'm totally <laughs> but, but no, this is, I'm not even saying we need to do anything. I'm just, oh, yeah. you know, but, but, but what's, what's interesting to me is that, you know, the 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 scenario with the brother and sister that you that you laid out um in the scene there is technically nothing wrong with the scenario that you put out you right. know where it's like they're in france and they this and they that they had a good time like whatever and even to your point the only reaction you have is emotional mm-hmm. but i would even step that emotional a little bit further which is like there is something in the unseen that you know there are emotional realities to that situation that the hypothetical could never really capture. It's like someone you grew up with. There are these boundaries that are there within a family that are totally real. Maybe you can't put like laws to them or words to them, but there are like very clear emotional unseen realities. Um, Sometimes you dig behind one of those realities and it's merely just a bias And it's kind of like brainwashing, but then on another hand, or social constructs or or social constructs. Right. But, but then you kind of like, you know, you, 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 you can zoom out and you can be like, no, but there is like 
on a level, you know, and it's hard to discern these things. That's why society is just like, so we're, we're so confused that like, we can't even discern what the differences between men and women are. And I don't mean that on a gender level. I mean that like on a level of, or, or, or like, I mean that in, there might be things men are better at and there might be things women are better at. But right. because patriarchy has dominated everything for so long, it's like we don't even know what skills we have, you know? And it's not to say that like we're not equal. We're certainly equal, but we're yeah. different. But there's no way to know what those differences are because men have completely used patriarchy to like just bulldoze through any nuance. Exactly. And then now the response is an equal bulldozing in order to even the playing field. But no one's really settled. You know what I mean? Right. Like no one's re like, it's like, you know, everyone is really scrambling to kind of like, you know, like, I just think we like roles and we do like, you know, um, and again, these are roles that should all be equal everywhere. Um, these are roles like brother and sister <laughs> roles, like, you know, leader follower. These are all things that like, as you know, they're, they're used to, they're, 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 they're um, there were clarity on some of those things before, but it came with a lot of bad. And then now there's clarity on things that were bad, but we've lost certain things. So I just think we're constantly adjusting as a society. And I, so, so I don't even know what to say about that. And I, cause I certainly wouldn't want to live any other time, but now, like yeah. I really value uh, Wi-Fi. Um, but, but, you know, I, I am kind of like, part of what's interesting to me about this show that we make is that we're constantly looking at tradition and culture and we're constantly kind of saying, well, what do I want to keep and what do I want to let go? Because essentially that's what's happening, you know, yeah. that's happening everywhere. And so that is, you know, it's just all really interesting. These are the things I just think about all day. Um, yeah. Dude, because, same. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the, the whole idea of, of conservatism and, and progressiveness. It's that, like you said, it's like everything, like new is better. We have to keep like new, make, getting all these new things, get rid of the old. But then on the flip side, it's like with conservatism, it's like a, the stubbornness of of shutting out any change. And it's like, like we said, not everything's black and white. There, There's yeah. so much gray in between yeah. and there's so much nuance. And, and you can't just definitively say this is the way or this is the way. You have to look at each individual situation each each uh you know the circumstances of everything and, and go from there you can't just put a blanket statement over all of it um, oh yeah but then but then you're also like when you like the blanket statement you could put on all of it is that um they're barely like cogent or real movements whether it's conservatism or liberalism because they're essentially like almost identical platforms when you get back to it because they all serve like massive economic injustice yeah. and the main difference between the liberal movement right now is that they are you know like ahead i don't even whatever you want whatever people want to define it as but i think there is a more respect to different identities of, of different people whether it be like racial or sexual or all those things um but it could be viewed as massive disrespect because they still don't serve those communities, but they say that they do. So arguably like it's the lip service is dark. And then you take a look at like, even between whether there's a conservative leadership or liberal leadership, disabled people still don't have real rights in the country. So it kind of doesn't matter. It is all lip service. And so in many ways I'm often like, 
much more disgusted by like a Joe Biden Harris kind of vibe than the other dude. And, 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 and I'm not going to say that I prefer the other dude. It's just all the more enraging where you're like, wait, but you said you cared and you really don't, you really don't. Your foreign policy is the same. Your economic stuff is barely different. Like it's, it's, it's all completely just not something that you can put your faith into you know it's, yes. it's it's all like completely spiritually empty regardless of which side and so um you know yeah it's 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 weird you know because it's not these aren't systems that anyone could believe in but we're being told to yeah in, in people's mindset it's almost like it's rooting for a, a sports team you know it's like whichever team you're on you're on that team you have to support it no matter what like you have to and and whoever is on the other team is the enemy like that's that's yeah. the the opponent and uh when you do that when you're looking at other people through that lens of like i'm this and they're that they're, you're automatically going to be at odds with them instead of just looking at everyone as an individual that's worthy of love and respect and it's like yeah that should be where we start. And then obviously there's going to be differences and things you don't agree on, but start from there, start from, this is just another human being and that's, that's it. Yeah. But you know, looking, looking at everyone truly to look at everyone with love and respect would destroy this country. You know why? Because, because it would be like, you'd be like, well, if I look at every human on earth with love and respect, then people are going to be like, well, how did this shirt get made? You know, and then and then like the whole economy just falls apart because then you're like, whoa, we're doing what over there? Like it is that what you just said in its actual execution is uh, it's like something we can't handle. It's like it's so it's so it's so beautiful. Like it's what I want. It's what you want. But it's like it's actually something that, you know, and I and I want to like I am excited to talk about it more in this way because it it's it's going to take a long time to get anywhere near that, you know? And, and, and it, I guess the optimist in me is like, maybe we could, but you know, maybe towards the end of, you know, our lifetimes, we can kind of start to see, you know, peaks of that coming, you know, undone. But, um, it, it would, it would so much damage that has been done so far. Oh, it would put a dent in, in a lot. Everything. Yeah, in almost yeah. everything in almost yeah. everything. I mean, it would really just in almost everything. Yeah. And I do want to clarify that while I believe each individual, each human is worthy of love and respect, I do want to say that not every idea or every opinion is equally worthy oh, of yeah, love yeah, and yeah, respect. No, too. Yeah, so I do. Yeah, I just yeah. want to put that out there. <laughs> no, no, no. We're talking about just human essence, yeah, like human values about yeah. like people before they got, you know, right. Other ideas in hundred, yeah, that no, 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 yes. that was very clear to me. <laughs> so I did want to put that out there. No, 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 no. I don't respect where, like, I respect where people are at. I don't uh, think that uh, where everyone is at should be empowered, you know. Right. But, but I do, but I do respect, you know. Yeah, I respect and, that. and yeah. like you said earlier, there's this. I'm the same way where I can go out of my way at times to try to to empathize with people that you know maybe maybe they've done something horrible, and I can usually find something that I, I empathize with or or just thinking of them as a child. Like at one point, they were a little baby, a little sweet, yeah. innocent kid that at some point down the road, 
had some sort of trauma or were wronged. And that doesn't excuse what they did as an adult later in life, because ultimately they're still responsible for making that choice. But there are things that come into play. There are so many layers to it. And, uh, so, so I, I can't empathize with people that, that do bad things for the most part. There may, there may be a couple people that I, I, I struggle, uh, having empathy for, but, uh, the vast majority of people I can empathize with on some level, but, uh, you, you mentioned the the disabled community, and I, I think that what what you've done. I, I saw that you're you're working with Riz Ahmed and Mahershala Ali and everyone, you know, to to bring more visibility and representation as far as uh, Muslim actors. And um, I think that's incredible. I know that you are also working on a series with with disabled actors um, being kind of front and center. And as an actor with a disability, I think that's amazing. Um, because it's something I've talked to so many actors now on this podcast and off, uh, one in four people have some, some form of disability Mm. yet in the film industry, they like disabled characters and actors only make up. It's like less than 1% of characters in film and Mm. television. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a huge discrepancy and then there's not even statistics for disabled filmmakers. Mm. Um, there's just like, it's non-existent there's, it's like one in a million. So what can you tell me about the stuff that you're you're doing with Riz and the show you're working on um well right now yeah we're I mean that the the show with with um is with Steve you know and so we're developing that right now and um and so you know we're we're hoping to get to to make something you know and 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 I'm really excited about that because that is uh, a show yeah it's zoning in not only just on like the disabled characters that we're wanting to highlight, but also their families and kind of feeling like that ecosystem of a family um, where someone is dealing with a disability is uh, a family that we've, you know, I think we've seen um, some versions of in, in, in films and, and I think like probably mainly indie films, but I don't think it's uh, been captured in its nuances and certainly not in its comedic nuances. And so that's what we're really excited about kind of like, um, really putting at the forefront and also doing that, um, you know, just with a really wide ranging cast. And so that, uh, you know, hopefully that's something we get to make soon. And, um, and yeah, I mean, the initiative that, that Pillars Fund and Riz uh, put together, um, you know, it's, it's, it's about kind of what we were talking about at the beginning of this podcast with just, that feeling I had when I was a kid seeing those images on TV. And it's like, it's just that real realization that, you know, there's shows like the ones we're making, um, you know, like there's our show and then there's uh, other things kind of being developed that I know of that, you know, hopefully we'll start to put a dent in some of these visualizations that we've all had for so long. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, I remember even like, I think it was like the 08, 08 midterms or something like that. There was or so 08 election or there's mid, maybe it was 2010. I, maybe it was 2010 midterms, something like that. Yeah, it was, it was, that, that was, and I remember there was like all, all this stuff in New York going on about the ground zero mosque, you know, that someone had built a mosque by ground zero when there had always been a mosque by ground zero, you know I mean? It's just cause it's right. New York, there's mosques everywhere. Right. But like our image has always been used in television. Like it's just, it gets dragged out periodically and just stoked, fear stoked, fear stoked, fear stoked. And so 
I think a big part of that initiative is just kind of creating some awareness around some statistics in terms of like what we can control, which is TV and film roles. Um, and then it's about um, getting some money in the pockets of people who want to be creators in the space um, who have new voices and kind of like, you know, democratizing a little bit um, the barrier of entry to enter this industry. Cause it's hard. I mean, like, you know, I had something happen to me where, you know, I was living in New Jersey and I booked a role that moved me to LA. It's pretty rare. And actually the longer that I've been in Los Angeles, the more that I've been like, that's hard. <laughs> you know, it's hard to like, just, you know, it, it doesn't happen that much. Um, and so that, that got me started. And even just, you know, even that was just, was just enough to kind of like help me over the years, but it, it was, um, you know, we're trying to democratize it a bit more so yeah. that people can kind of get uh, feedback from people in the industry, but also kind of um, uh, just a little bit of, of, of a way in um, to, to, yeah, tell stories that frankly, I might not even be able to tell because some of the people that we want to talk to are, are, you know, we're 30, you know, and it's like, wow, what do younger people look like? They have a different lens, you know? Yeah. That's yeah. so cool. I, I think that it's it's really important because like you said, you know, it's fear stoking a lot of the representation of Muslim characters is, you know, like terrorists or villains or bad guys. And then with, uh, you know, uh, Hispanic and black characters, you know, they're criminals and, and with disabled characters, they're these, you know, weak victims that need help or often there's um you know they're they're villains like in in a james bond movie or whatever that that have some sort they're they're like angry at the world and you know for their disability like there, there's no you know why why can't there be a, a a judge in a courtroom drama that's an amputee or why can't there just mm -hmm. be a, a muslim police officer in in a you know a crime show or whatever it's like why mm -hmm. why can't that be the norm because that is the norm in reality mm -hmm. And, um, whenever it's, it's damaging being someone that is in a community that's marginalized or, or discriminated against in some capacity when you're watching TV, because not only are you facing that in day-to-day -day life from other people, but then if you turn on the TV and Muhammad Ali talked about this, how as a kid, he's sitting there watching Westerns and it's like the good guys wear white, the bad guys wear black. There's the ugly duckling and the, how, what color was the ugly duckling? It was black. And it's all of these things where it's like as a kid that was embedded in his mind. It's like black is bad. Black is ugly. Black is evil. And uh, if that's the only representation you're seeing of yourself on screen, it can cause a lot of of issues, uh, you know, internally. Yeah, and I think. yeah it does having you know what you're doing is is so important and i think it's it's really really uh admirable and and yeah i'm i'm really i'm proud that you're doing that i'm happy that you're doing that and uh you know the the world needs more of it and you too man i really like this is this is such a great space you're creating here on the podcast but also just you know out there actually doing the thing is like pretty priceless you know yeah Thanks, man. I, I appreciate yeah. it. Do you have any other things? Oh, there's an, one more question I need, need to ask after this, but do you have any yeah. other projects you're working on? You know, yeah, I'm working on a couple of things, but like nothing, you know, it's, you know how it is. TV is such a, it's like, it's, it's such a long incubation period. So, yeah. you know, you'll see a trailer. Right. Or you won't. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. That's uh, I saw on IMDb that you're you're working on Yorgos Lanthimos' next film. Yes, 
So have you, have you started that yet? Or is that down the road? I have started some prep for it, but I will be going to shoot it at the end of August. So the end okay. of August. Yeah. Coming up. Dude, yeah. that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Really exciting. Yeah. 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 So we're, we're going to be in, uh, in Budapest. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For a couple of months. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and lastly, I, I always ask every guest, since we talk a lot about things that, you know, we've struggled with or have been insecure about, I always want to end it by asking what's something that you love about yourself? Hmm. Um, <laughs> I think I, I do, and, and, and I can attribute this to, um, my parents, but it, it's totally part of my DNA. It's, it's, there's this like, kind of like, I love that I kind of have, a a refusal to be stuck. Right. You know, like, it's just like, I just can't feel stuck for too long. Like, and so there's just something will be figured out. Like there has to be a way, you know? And, and I, and I think that that, that is, it's kind of like optimism. It's not exactly optimism, but it, but it is, it, I try to have it be part of that. And then, and then I think like, you know, it, what it does really tie into me, you know, obviously too, is like a sense of faith, but it's, but it's, um, that I, I do love, I do love, you know, feeling like that's something that's inescapable for me is, you know, is just, yeah, I got to figure it out, you know? And, yeah. and I think that that has always been something that, um, is a great key to you know most things that 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 present themselves and yeah. and and so it's not the answer but it's a great key to like a lot of things and 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 so that's um yeah that's something that I'm I'm very happy about about myself yeah i like that i, I could use uh, i'm going through some stuff now where i'm i'm trying to have that same mindset where it's like it's going to be okay like yeah. you're going to figure it out, but there's yeah. a lot of unknowns at the moment. So uh, yeah. I'm, I'm in that, that mode right now, but it's, it's uh, sometimes easier said than done, but I think totally. it's a really admirable trait. I told you guys the topics that we explored were, were some of the deepest and, and most complex topics I have uh, discussed on this podcast. Rami is just so well-spoken and has such a, such a way with words. He's so open to, to learning. Um, and he's, he's constantly trying to, to expand his, his mind and his, his understanding of, of the world and the, the people around him. And I think that's such an admirable trait. So yeah, listening back to that episode was when, as I was editing, it was just as exciting, uh, as it was when I, I, first got to sit down and talk to him. You know, Rami's one of those people, as I said earlier, that I just have so much respect and admiration for both as a person and an artist. Uh, so I was kind of nervous going into that that interview because I, uh, you know, it's like they say about meeting your heroes or meeting people that, that you look up to. Um, they rarely live up to uh, expectations. Um, but Rami exceeded every expectation I could have had. Uh, and I, I think he's, he's an awesome guy. And I, I came out of that interview an even bigger fan of his than I was before. Uh, and I can't wait to see what he does in the next season of Rami. I can't wait to see 
his performance in the Yorgos Lanthimos film, which also stars Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. So he is an excellent company, um, but he definitely belongs there because he's that talented. And I can't wait to see his show, you know, come together with with Steve that will star mostly actors with disabilities. And who knows, maybe I'll even uh, as an actor with with cerebral palsy and scoliosis, maybe maybe I can uh, get an audition for that. So, uh, yeah, hit me up, Rami. You got my my contact information. Anyway, so now is the time for me to tell you about next week's guest, my first filmmaker that I'll have interviewed. I, I've interviewed some actors who also uh, direct, but this will be the first just strictly filmmaker that I'll have interviewed, and it is Ginny Gold. Uh, now, Ginny Gold directed the documentary Cinemability, which is all about inclusion in the arts and the history of uh, the the representation of disabled people in film. Uh, she interviewed tons and tons of actors, including some A-listers for her documentary. She's one of just two filmmakers in the DGA, which is the, the Directors Guild, uh, that has a, a noticeable disability. Ginny has muscular dystrophy and she is wheelchair bound. And the first feature film that she directed was called Ready, Willing, and Able. And that was actually the first action film to star a wheelchair user. So she continues to, um, you know, prove to people that that people with disabilities are just as capable as people without. And I'm just so thrilled that I, I had a chance to uh, sit down and talk to her about her journey and uh, what her experience has been like in the film industry and uh, the direction that she sees it heading in. Um, so yeah, be sure to tune in next Monday to listen to my conversation with Ginny. Until then, remember to love your limp and enjoy this outro music by Devin Levi and give him a follow at Devin Levi Music. <laughs>